Welcome to the podcast, Working with Children and Young People. It's hosted by me, Dr. Kay Calver. In each episode, I will be joined by a special guest to explore different career options relating to working with children and young people. We will also explore current issues facing the sector and offer top tips for achieving your desired career. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm joined by Nathan, who is the co-founder and director of We Support and We Nurture Childcare. Nathan's work is centred around supporting children, young people and adults in residential care, independent supported accommodation and outreach services for those in the social care system. Nathan studied BA Honours Childhood and Youth Studies at the University of Bedfordshire and during his studies had a part-time job as a residential care worker. Nathan reflects on how these experiences ignited his passion for working in the sector and how within a few years he had started his own company. Nathan reflects on the challenges and opportunities facing the social care sector and offers insights into how his organisation is responding to these issues. Nathan is a strong advocate for children and young people's rights and has won multiple awards for his contribution to improving the sector. Nathan offers advice and guidance for people interested in working in the sector and provides an overview of different job roles, salary expectations, and what he personally looks for in an ideal candidate. So hi, Nathan. Um, Thank you very much for agreeing to talk with me today. Um, So for context, I know Nathan when you studied at the University of Bedfordshire on the Childhood and Youth degree. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you graduated in 2016. So thanks so much for coming in to talk about what you do. So if I was to ask you what your current job title is, um, how would what would you say it is and how would you describe the role? Yeah, no problem. Um, my job title is actually uh, director. So um, I'm a director of uh, two organisations um, and my role if I was to describe it, it's more this in terms of like senior leadership of the organizations that I, I run. Um, so I, over two companies, I have a, a cohort of around 50 employees um, and I'm in charge of them, their welfare and the young people and children that we care and support. So you're a director of two companies right. and those companies are uh, working to support uh, young people that are in social care. Yes. So, um, uh, my first company is We Support, and that um, supports children aged 16 and above, um, mainly in between the ages of 16 and 18, but we do also support people aged 18 up to 25, uh, but that cohort can be uh, quite a lot smaller. Uh, and then the second organisation is in children's residential care, so children's homes, um, but all of the young, all of the children and the young people we support, are they do come through the social care system, so they're looked after by the authority. Um, and then they live with us. So there's a lot to unpack in terms of what what you do and what this involves. So uh, for anyone listening, these are organisations, these are companies that you have personally set up and you have kind of, you run and oversee. Yeah, so I've been very fortunate to be able to set up these, these organisations. Um, essentially when I finished, well, during my university studies and then after when I finished my university studies, um, I was fortunate to meet some uh, like-minded professionals who um, had similar views and theories and ethoses on how we deliver our services to um, children and young people. Um, 
and after getting some a bit more experience after my university working as a support worker a senior support worker and part of the leadership teams in somebody else's organization um we've managed to create and form then finally take a leap to open up our own organizations um with our own imprint of what we we feel like a service should be delivered like um off the background of what we'd studied of course and and not only studied but the experiences that we went through in our early careers um and essentially that shaped our views on what we were doing so i feel like anyone that might be listening would be like i know for me personally i'm like wow how do you go from being an undergraduate student and i think you were 18 when you started yeah yeah uh, when i started in um in my career i was 18 yeah i, I was um an undergraduate at the university of bedfordshire um and i had a circumstance where my 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 girlfriend at the time became pregnant thus meaning i needed some shift work <clears throat> and when i was looking across the jobs market there was not anything that really interested me because the the care sector is quite niche so i was i was obviously uh studying child and youth studies and the jobs that were available were in nurseries but that would mean i would have to stop my studying i wanted to continue doing that so the only thing that was available at the time in terms of shift patterns was in a residential um, childcare sector. Um, at the time, it was a difficult uh, job to attain because there was um, parameters around age limits. So the children we were looking after were 16, I would have been 18, coming up to 19. Um, but the, the experience that I had from my university studies and the uh, employer that I was going to I guess saw a bit of, uh, what's the word, pa the, not just the passion, but the potential in me. So they, they did put a lot of um, trust in me. They created things like risk assessments to make sure that I'd be safe in work. Um, and that was sort of a leap into it. And I was almost fast-tracked through due to the fact that personal issues and I'm having a child, I need to work, but I also need to continue my studies. Um, I sort of fast-tracked into that role and um, I did my last two years at uni whilst working, uh, shift working in, in a residential home. Yeah, so what started off as a bit of part-time work around your studies to kind of help you out financially and to develop some experience in the relevant sector ended up being, you know, a huge career moves to you and has really sparked what you've gone on to do. So you started off what would have been your kind of role title uh, when you first started? Yeah, so I started as a, um, it was an RCW at the time, so it was a residential care worker. Um, so I started off as a residential care worker, and actually my first experience uh, in a workplace setting, I found really difficult because I was trying to juggle um, shift patterns and my studies. Um, I know there was times where I felt like I was a bit overwhelmed and, what's going on am I supposed to be at work do I need to go and study do I need to be at home for my family um so there was a there was a lot happening um and I actually my, the first role that I, I went to uh, I left after six months and joined a different care home because of the um the different way the shift patterns were working so it was more suited to me and it was actually closer um so as a residential care worker my, my duties essentially were um to mimic the role of a parent or a family member for these children um i was supporting with 
day-to-day uh, running of the home. So things like helping young people and children structure their day, go to school, cook them dinners, support them to keep the home safe and clean. Having um, well-being talks. I mean, this is huge for for children, young people, especially in a care sector. Having those difficult conversations with them around family, around um, different areas of of their life, independence, uh, previous trauma, and at the time, it really fitted in with what I was learning at uni. So I was able to use some of those um, theories that I was reading about and writing about. Um, and not only use them in work, but use my work experiences in my university studies. So I was able to come back, talk to other students or talk to my lecturers and say, oh, I did this. What what was what was that about? And then my, my, the people were able to say, well, actually, if you're at this book, because if you're feeling this way or you've seen that, this might be linked to so-and-so. Um, so really, they, were, they, they worked hand in hand. And I think that helped me be better as an RCW. So... Um, as a as a residential care worker, I was in that role for a, probably a year before. Um, so in my second year, in my second year, I was I was there for a year, um, and then I was promoted to a senior um, member of staff in that in my last year. And I, it was all a bit quick, if I'm honest, because I was at that point twenty years old. Um, I was one of the youngest member of staff in the team, um, but I was very respected, and I think I was very respected probably because of the passion that I held within my role um and if I reflect on it now the uh the resilience that I've shown really I think stood out for people and I think a lot of people respected me for that because they knew I had a lot going on and I I, I know sometimes things do go by the wayside and things go wrong but generally I still stuck through in all of the areas that I currently had going on so um yeah, that was how it started. And it was a bit crazy, but we got there. Yeah, so juggling full-time university study while working and having a young family, you know, lots of different roles there and um, lots of different, um, yeah, hats to put on. And yeah, must have been very, very full-on. And you were also a very active member of the football team, if I, if I remember right. I was, yes. Yeah. Well, when when I could, I think that the, I loved, I loved, I love my time at uni. Um, sometimes a bit too much. I think the first year I definitely loved it <laughs> a lot. Um, I had a lot of fun. Um, the second and third year was a bit more serious. But I think one thing that I I tried to, whenever possible, was every Wednesday go and play football. Um, and I would spend that day with the society, playing football, going out with my friends, trying to maintain those relationships. Because that, again, that's another hat you wear. They're equally important. You have to have rest, you have to have play, you have to have work, you have to have that time at home. Um, and I did whenever possible. And I think it was maybe every, I think if I remember correctly, it was like every third week I couldn't go to football because I was either on shift or I had some studying or something like that. But I was I was all over the football. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. So if you were to kind of look at your role then as like the residential care worker and then the senior residential care worker what would you say kind of like the senior element of it where you you had that promotion how did that kind of change or influence your role within that residential care home yeah uh how did it change the the day-to-day role was 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 very similar um but i guess what what happened was it was an element of here's some more responsibility and that responsibility 
stood more with the employees around me. Um, so it was, it was, there was, there's, there's of course the children are uh, your priority. Um, everything that happens throughout the day happens for them. Um, but what the role of the senior was at that point was, okay, you've also got now got three members of staff with you today. How were you going to structure the day to benefit all of them? How were you going to look at their strengths and weaknesses and put them in, put staff members in the correct place to make sure this shift runs smoothly? Uh, it was also then every week looking at, well, looking and having meetings with the two other senior members and the home manager at the time. And how are we going to develop this home? Not only for our young people, um, for members of the public if they were visiting, for, for the 20 employees that we had, how are we going to develop this home in the eyes of Ofsted and what Ofsted are, dem uh, are demanding from us? Um, I think at the time the home was a good. Um, then after I, and this wasn't just my influence, we had a very, very strong team. Uh, the manager that we had was incredible. And she's actually a business partner of mine now, which we hopefully might go into later. Um, but yeah, the manager that we had was incredible. Um, and we managed to get that home outstanding in it, and it remained outstanding for a long period where it had it. It was actually given something called sustained effectiveness. Um, but yeah, essentially the, the role there was, can we develop the home? How can we develop our staff members? Is there something more we can do for our children and young people? Um, and another element of that role, which I didn't really understand at the time, was this sense of advocacy. And it's not just advocacy for the children and young people and the staff, but it's yourself. It's for the home um, and when I say the home, it's how is this home um, presented to everybody else? How do people see this home? How are we perceived? Um, can I advocate for us better? And can I change the views and the stigmas of, of what a children's home was at the time? Um, which was something we really stood for. Um, and we have managed to, over time, I mean, the homes that I've been involved with and the service I've been involved, involved with, uh, we've managed to try and break those barriers down um, and that played a big part of it in a senior role it, it's it's a lot less on um, the things that you see and it's more of what's happening in the background how are the cogs working and that and that then was okay this is how the home should run this is what I need to be putting in place if I want to run a, run a children's home my next step would have been manager at that point um, like I said she was incredible I don't think I think I had a, a, a lot, a lot of big shoes to fill up. I was stepping into that role, um, but working so closely to them that allowed me to go. Okay, I can see this works like this. I can see that works like that. You start to understand the way people work and and the different um, strengths and weaknesses that people have. I mentioned that earlier. I I, I used to. I, I remember when I was very early in my career. I used to look at my fellow team members and think, "What are you actually doing?" A lot, and I and we, I can guarantee a lot of people that go into work, especially if we're new in, into employment, we look at our colleagues and think, "What do you do? Or why aren't you doing it this way? Or why aren't you doing it that way?" When I stepped into that senior role, that allowed me to understand people's strengths and weaknesses. There were some people that you would want to be with the children and young people because they're so relatable, they're so fun, they can remain active, they can do those things that some people are not really not really wanting to do. Maybe they're not outgoing enough. And then there's the other members of staff, which might be more reserved, but they're the people that are doing your paperwork. We call them completed finishers. They're doing your paperwork. They're making sure that the um, that I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And you need everybody 
and you need everybody to be working together in that element. And as a senior, when I went into that role, I was able to understand that. And I, I think I picked that up very quickly, that everybody has a role, everybody has a, play, uh, a place. Um, and it, once you can understand that, it made my job a lot easier, if I'm honest. So you were a residential care worker for one year. And you progress onto the senior residential worker role. And did you do that for a further year? Uh, I did, yeah. I think I'm just trying to think when I finished being a senior. I think I finished being a senior around 23. It was around 23 because I'd have started We Sport at 24. So yeah, I'd have finished being a senior around 23. And then how did you go from being a senior residential care worker to setting up your own business? Yeah, okay. That's a really big... As a Lit. huge jump. So you obviously um, have a real passion for children's social care. And I know we've talked previously about how sometimes, unfortunately, in the sector, there is bad practice. Um, yes. And you are very, very passionate and a really strong advocate for ensuring outstanding experiences for children um, in the care system. So I know that you had this you know, really strong vision for what you would like a children's home to be like to ensure the best possible experiences for young people. So you have this idea, you have this vision yeah. of what you would like this, you know, sector to be like to improve it. So how do you go from having this idea to reality in a relatively short space of time? Uh, it's, it's, it's a long story, to be honest. <laughs> But um, essentially, what what happened over time, um, th this home that I was working with, I had, like I said, her name's Karen. She's done on to do some. She's gone on to do some incredible things. Um, she was my manager at the time, and she instilled a big belief in in me, but not just me and my other team members in what you can do and what you can go and achieve. But at the time, I remember Karen was leaving. She was going to direct, uh, be an ops director in another company. Uh, or manager at the time, I can't remember, but it was in Reading. She was leaving to Reading. Um, and I think at the time she was saying, go and you could be a really good manager, like go and do this managing role. Um, but I actually had some really, I had some close friends of mine, um, James and Reese, who are also business partners. They always wanted to set up their own business. And I'd witnessed some things in my organization, which I wasn't happy with. And I would go and talk to my friends. I'd talk to James over breakfast and say, this is what I'm witnessing. This is what's happening corporately. And it, was, it wasn't the home because the home was fantastic. It was what was happening with the organization, which I wasn't happy about. And he was working um, for, for an adult provider. He was managing an adult services provision. Um, and he was saying, I'm seeing the same, the same things. So one day we were sitting and he, he said to me, would you ever be interested in setting up our own service? And... I remember going into work and I'd spoken to a lot of people about it, a lot of other professionals. And the need is in residential children's homes. There is a big need. Um, but there's also a huge need in support accommodation when children turn 16 and they leave and then go into independence and adulthood. My degree was in childhood and youth studies, and that covers obviously up to the age of 25. And I had a very strong feeling towards when children left I, I I didn't like when children would leave our home knowing where they were going to knowing what outcomes they were they were likely to achieve um so when we were discussing the business plans or proposals when James had brought it to me I said well it's got to be this age group and it has to be because one there's a huge need and two the sector 
is not good enough. And if we can be a part of upskilling, not just Northampton, but the UK or the whole of the sector, or we can be a part of driving the change, um, then that'd be great. Business-wise, I'll be honest, I was an amateur. I had absolutely no idea. Um, this is why it's such a big jump. And I would urge anybody to take such a big jump. And the reason being, I had no idea. I had no idea about business. I had no idea about finance. All I knew was what I was good at. Um, and I knew that I enjoyed my job and I was passionate for it. The thing that was really beneficial to us was the fact that everywhere I went and every person I spoke to, I spoke so passionately about what I wanted to do. Um, not only that, I think if you go to wherever you go, wherever you work, whoever you speak to, if you talk in a way where you treat people with respect, you help others, um, and, and you show that you want to make differences for people, it does come back and it, and it, it can repay you. And, and that's essentially what's happened, um, in my situation. Um, but how did I make the jump? <laughs> I've seen these changes. I've seen these things going wrong and I wanted to make changes. Um, one of the main ones, sorry, was how employees were treated in residential care. I think in my time before my own company, we, the turnover was huge. We probably lost four or five staff members every year four or five new ones come in they might last six months and so on and so on we had a very good core of employees who would stay and they were there for a long time some of them now actually work for my organizations which i set up which is great um like i said i'm now in business with my ex-manager and we've got an amazing children's home in northampton but yeah the first thing we watched change was how employees were treated and that's not just um like pay because everyone always looks at pay and they're underpaid yes support workers generally are underpaid over the country um, but it's how is their work-life balance? Um, are you looking after them? Are they receiving supervision? Ofsted will state that they need to receive supervision between four to six weeks, for example. Let's say that's the figure. Some employees might go three, four months without supervision. I know that from first-hand experience where I've been before. So it's, can we, can we make the change? And if we are going to make the change, can we push everybody else to make that change too? When employees come, on board with us and when they stay with us can we sing and shout their prows for their praises um rather than us taking the plaudits can we give those plaudits to them so that was the sort of ideas that we had and and that's the way we sat it essentially uh it was these are our these are our thoughts these are our feelings how do we put this into a company thereafter employees it was children and young people so i did speak earlier about advocacy so many children and young people are let down because nobody wants to be their their biggest advocate. Nobody wants to stand in their corner and they would be more than happy to allow other professionals to make decisions for them. A slogan, we have a few slogans, but a slogan that we have is um, letting people live the life, life they want. That's not always a possibility because some people want things which may not be deemed right for them. But where possible, that should be the case. Um, so more often than not, you'll see me or my colleagues, mainly my colleagues now, and I'm behind them, supporting them. Um, but you, you'll see them in the right, in in the corner of the children, shouting for their rights, screaming for their rights, and questioning other professionals because the professionals aren't always correct. That has really put us into a position where now we are, we can confidently know that we're making the correct decisions for young people, with young people in mind, because young people are helping to make those decisions, but also. We're driving best practice, which is person-centered, which is child-led, which is relative and and relevant to them. Um, so often, as professionals, we forget 
and we always forget we always think what we want or what we deem is correct well actually 15 years ago many young people weren't doing what they are now and a, a study that i did in uni one of the units was the digital age and that opened my mind like oh my gosh this is crazy there's so much change there's and this is what happens with technology and it's really, really brought us forward and our professionals need to catch up with that technology. As you say, had this passion for improving the sector. Yeah. It's notorious for high staff turnover, kind of, um, you know, across across the UK and there's real issues there in terms of like staff experiences, the way they're treated, um, trying to change that. But also, as you say, really kind of championing um, children's rights and yeah. you know, advocating for them. So we can definitely see there kind of like what your like ethos and what your vision was for your children's homes. But what about kind of more of like the practicalities though? You obviously need to ha- secure actual housing to so like a building, the physical spaces. And then I'm also guessing you would have to secure some kind of funding to help, you know, yeah. set this up. So do you have any kind of insights in terms of like some of the practicalities of I really like this idea that you and your friend were probably like sat in this coffee shop, you know, going, Oh, this be great. Yeah, let's do this. It'd be amazing if we did that. But then you know, how do you go from like yeah. this kind of blue sky thinking, if you like, in terms of like if we could change the world, you know, let's go for it. If we could change the world, what would we do? And it's obviously a really strong vision. But then how how do you in yeah, this is this was one of our probably most challenging. Yeah, the the most challenging things was making it making it realistic. Um, I'm an optimist. I'm a bit of a dreamer. I like to shoot for the stars. And um, my colleagues at the time, James and Reese, when we started the company, are very much level headed. Okay, let's look at the steps. And something I remember him saying, James. I think no, it was Reese. Reese said to me, uh, right at the start was, if if you're struggling to get to the end, look down at your feet, and if you can see the next step, then take that. So that's something really important. I mean, and and this this goes from all courses of life. If you can, if you're struggling or you don't know where you're going, look at your feet, take the next step, and that essentially is saying it's like climbing a ladder. You do one foot up at a time, um, and that's essentially what we had to do. We had to literally write on a we had a big A3 piece of paper, and it was okay. This is the steps, and this is what we have to do. The first one, you mentioned it, which was secure a home. First thing we need to do is secure a home. So how can we do that? Um, now, something that we didn't realize at the time was um, like company accounts, etc. We had none. So we've got no history. Thus, lending money is going to be near on impossible. Um, we were very fortunate that James and Reese had worked very hard over from the age of 16 up to 24 at the time. And they had some savings which they put together for us it wasn't a lot i think oh it is a lot in it It was a lot to me um but in terms of the company it wasn't really like it wouldn't have lasted us long we had around i believe it was about twenty thousand, which had, would have to pay for staff costs it would have to pay for a home it would have to pay for the home to get ready also we had no contract thus meaning where were the children and young people that we wanted support coming from um so yeah, the first one was getting a home. Um, we have some very good connections in Northamptonshire, so we were messaging, messaging, and then 
James made the ultimate sacrifice and moved back with his mum and used his home. So everybody had to make sacrifices at the time. And James's sacrifice was, if I move back home, I can use the home that I'm currently renting, um, our first support accommodation. And the landlord accepted what we wanted to do and they, they supported our vision, which was really, really kind of them. Um, and we spent six months, well, six months prior to that, we had spent writing policies and procedures. Now, many people in business use consultants to do this for them. They use large companies, but that comes at a big cost, which we didn't have at the time. So it was a case of, okay, let's see what templates we can find. Let's talk to other professionals about policies. And we spent around six months to a year writing policies. And we ended up writing 91 policies. We still have, we still have the original um, suite of policies because it's a memory of ours. And every, every Tuesday and Thursday, we'd, we would meet at my house with my daughter in the living room just after dinner time and we'd be sitting together typing up policies. Um, so that was the policies and we had the house. The next thing was, where are we going to get staff from? If we're going to deliver the service, service we need some staff. Um, and when we were looking around at the table, James and Reese, it was critical that they stayed in employment and secure employment because if it went wrong, they might have been able to put more money back into the organization, for example. Um, so then it left me and it was, okay, you're definitely going to do it. Um, especially not just that, but my skill set, my passion, my understanding of the framework. Um, so I was one person and then we had to get a second um, employee. And during my time in my old job, I had spoken to a few of the other staff members that I had. And our first employee was a lady called Deborah Bishop. She's actually, she's actually We Support's registered manager now, which is amazing. She, her career has blossomed and she's turned into an amazing professional. But yeah, uh, when I was putting feelers out and saying, actually, I'm going to do this, Deb said, Nathan, I trust you. I trust you explicitly. You tell me when and I'll come and work. Um, and she made that step. She left her job in February and she went and secured some temporary work. She actually secured temporary, temporary work in a body body garage for cars. Oh, bit of a change. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she became employed with us on July the 4th. Um, in that year, which to me is an, uh, another huge sacrifice. You left a, a, a secure job, went and got a temporary job until a position came open. Um, and that, that at that point, I think I realized I might be onto something very special because I had people believing and willing what I'm trying to do to work. And these people have no loyalties to me. And I, that was, yeah, that, that was a real um, overwhelming feeling for me. So at that point, we had two members of staff at home and we had the policies and procedures. And then it was a case of there was no office of regulation at that time. That's only just come in this year, which we've been advocating for. So we're really happy about that. Um, so it was who do we need, now need to go to to get one regulated and two, some some young people. Um, and it was take it took us six months to get a, a young person and we were actually down to our last cash flowing month. So if it didn't happen at the time that it happened, we probably would would never be here today. Um, and it just so happened we were having a meeting in a coffee shop called Sapato Lounge, and we were discussing discussing the organisation and what we were going to do because we didn't think it was going to get off its legs. I guess we didn't think it was going to take off. And a lady that I used to work with in a children's centre walked into the coffee shop, and I hadn't seen her for about four years. And she asked me what I was doing, and I explained, and I said, "Oh, what are you doing?" She said. 
it's really funny how you've explained that because I'm the placements manager for the Northampton Children's Trust. Oh no! And and we're looking we're looking for more providers to enter our framework, and it was like the stars have been that moment, the moons, the stars, the planets have all have all aligned. Um, and I think the next week I went for a meeting and applied to get onto the framework for the children uh, for the Northampton Children's Trust, which was the support accommodation framework. And lo and behold, six weeks later, we had an emergency referral and we had our first young person. So it was, it 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 was, I guess, meant to be. And it also really shows like the power of like your professional network. Yes, and you know, really making an effort to get to know people, to make good impressions, and also kind of maintaining those connections over a period of time. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier about leaving that everlasting impression on someone when you're going in can you show that you're passionate that you enjoy what you're doing and actually you're here for the right reasons people it will come back and repay you it really really will um and sometimes it's not even the, the an action that you've done it might just be giving somebody a smile or going in and asking a question just being inquisitive you're putting yourself there to to essentially when you're in work you're putting yourself there you're being paid to do something and if you can leave a memory that you're actually you're you're passionate you want to do what you want to do and you're not here just for a paycheck people will remember that they really will so you've got your first young person yeah what when did that happen then so 2000 and oh gosh what date we now told uh it had been 2018 i believe 2018 no 2019 so your business is a effectively been running then for four years yes so in you've gone from you know effectively using a rented house that your friend was staying in you know getting together all the money you had finally getting your first young person and in that four years your business has really you know exploded hasn't it so having this rented house and if I'm right you've got multiple houses now haven't you yes so we have well we have multiple organizations and houses now so we have uh, we support my first organization that's support accommodation we have four houses there we've gone through actually seven but we had a big structural change um, and the structural change came with how we were using our staff members and what we wanted to do is have a service which better benefited our young people of course so two years ago, we got rid of a few houses. We changed our structure, um, and we're at four, but we're at four very stable homes, which have a, an amazing service delivered. We were actually that that company is the first Ofsted registered supported accommodation in our region, so that's great. Um, and to add into that, not only is it the first that was inspected, but you did absolutely amazingly, didn't you? Have really really amazing feedback as part. of we have we've had amazing feedback here. Uh, we had great feedback. Um, I think last year we, or I know last year we were the highly commended provider of the year nationally. Um, we won something the year before called the Rose of Northampton, which was um, handed to us by the High Sheriff, and that was uh, in dedication to children and young people during the, the uh, coronavirus pandemic. And about. Four weeks ago, we were announced as the, one of the top 50 SME um, apprenticeship employers in the UK. So that was... Uh, What's 
SME for anyone that might not know? Uh, essentially, it's for small organizations. So you've got obviously larger employees such as Nationwide. These are all bigger employees. And then people like myself, we've got over each company is around 25, 26 employees and we fall into that category. Um, it's done on a number, the awards are given on a number of different criteria. So if you were to set up an organization in the next five years, it's likely you would fall into the SME category. Um, but you can find all the information. If you go onto the .gov website and type in SME, um, you will, it's small to medium enterprises essentially, but you will see um, where you fall and what those criteria are. Um, so yeah, we, we were awarded that about four weeks ago and I was very, very fortunate enough yeah, yesterday to be invited to the House of Commons for that. So that was uh, an interesting day and it was uh, luckily quite sunny. So we enjoyed the sun on the terrace. Yeah, so I, and we were saying earlier, won't we, before we started recording, it's so British to really kind of like rave about ourselves. Like it's, I can tell you look really uncomfortable. <laughs> but it's really important to kind of recognize, you know, what, what you've achieved in your in your business in you know, in an incredibly short period of time and going from, you know, conversations in a coffee shop about, you know, your kind of collective vision for what you want children and social care to be like to actually really now doing it and on a larger scale, but also having that kind of recognised as the reality that you have improved the service and you have made a difference to young people's lives. I think something that we that is really important for us and something that we've been driving to do essentially was make a change to the sector. Um, we were able to open a second company um, which is our children's residential company. That's gone on to do some incredible things. Um, I know my business partners in that and the managers there are going on, they're, they're doing some amazing things. They, they've got two children's homes now, but something that we've always wanted to do is be the change. So not just have we been able to open those organizations, like the second organization has been able to open a youth club for children with learning disabilities. And that means that every other child in care with learning disabilities can come to this youth club. And we've been able to facilitate that. There has been nothing in Northamptonshire like that since I've lived here and I've lived here for 29 years. Um, I think equally in terms of, like, for example, we support, we are the organisation in the Midlands who is going to be the pilot, is going to be the pilot for Ofsted to come and inspect and create their new regime for support accommodation. So we're being able to drive that change from the very top and to be part, a part of that is something that we're we're really 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 proud of and i think the the achievements that you have or that we've managed to get are like collective achievements it's like there's a group of people professionals but not just professionals they are people people that at five o'clock four o'clock six o'clock whenever it is go home and they don't just switch off they live what they work and they really enjoy what they do like yourselves and like others that want to make a difference it doesn't just oh i've got my money and i'm i'm finished at that point it's what more can we do is there anything else we can we can create um it's just very heartwarming to be a part of that how many people would you say you employ across across the two? Oh gosh well that's your three i didn't mention the third one the third one oh uh, yeah sorry i didn't mention that the third one uh i don't actually direct on um but I'm a co-founder of, and that's um, an education provision. Um, essentially, we have opened a service which is for 
children who have barriers to education, so they're not currently in education, which their classes need, so not in education, employment or training. Um, and these young people essentially are not being accepted by mainstream or other organizations which can help and they've landed on our doorstep and we're going to support and help them so our current first cohort opens in october with 10 young people and that's again something we're incredibly proud of but if we were looking at our employees i think we have around 50 i'm probably gonna get this wrong i think it's about 56 including four directors so i think there's about 52 without us there's about three or four managers so round it up probably about 60 people yeah yeah again just that kind of like that journey isn't it between it initially being you and as someone you used to work with that were going to be kind of the day-to-day face of that yeah and children's time just you know now uh working with so many people and also supporting their professional journeys along the way um one thing that you know has come across really clearly is that you obviously don't do this for the money and I know in previous conversations that is one of the issues um, in some areas of the sector is that it can be something that people see as an opportunity to make money, yeah. uh, kind of seeing it very much from a profit perspective rather than um, something that's important in terms of supporting children and young people and that being the overriding purpose. Um, but thinking about money... How, how would you describe kind of the various different salaries that might be attached to the different roles? Um, obviously, you can talk about it from your perspective. There will probably be regional differences and differences within companies, but you've got such a, a great oversight of how you organise things. Of course. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I guess money is always that number one question on everyone's lips or what they think. Um Something we've always tried to do is make this sector fair. Um, my, I know as a di- board of directors, we are constantly looking at creative and forward-thinking ways because we money is very sensitive in our sector. And the reason why it's very sensitive, sensitive is because we have an understaffed sector. Thus meaning you don't want to cripple it. If we were to make a huge change, what would happen is everyone may feel that or you'd have an imbalance of staff so let's say we said we're going to pay everybody an extra twenty thousand a year everybody would 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 apply to be working for us now you firstly you don't want everybody to apply for you because you want you want to be able to uh know your staff understand them develop them second secondary if everybody came to work for you who would work for everybody else and we're here for the children we're not for my organization so every organization needs to have competent staff who are looked after and paid well so when we have these conversations we're taking that in mind i mean our pay structure and salary has and is still developing and it i mean from the start because at the start when we had no money it was very difficult to pay what we wanted to do it was very difficult to put the sort of things that we wanted in um but the way we looked at it is if we can pay a salary and not all of our staff on salaries but for example um, I start from the bottom upwards. We have an apprentice salary. Um, now, our apprentices that we have are currently care leavers, which is fantastic. They've gone through this sort of uh, scenarios that we're working in, and they're now coming and giving back. So that, firstly, for us is really important. Um, and we're currently paying them £8.50 an hour. Now, an apprentice wage is about £3.50 
or maybe less it's something like that you don't an apprentice wage is like significantly less than that for their age group and for the first year they wouldn't wouldn't necessarily get minimum wage but that first year is eight pound fifty an hour plus we play sleeping bonus now again that varies on who you work for so you would have to research sleeping bonuses there was a national outcry for making sleeping wages um mandatory per hour but that unfortunately fell so that wasn't going through um but outside of the salary there's a lot more things that we believe employers can be doing i mean it's it's pretty much a hands out that everybody's giving employee health programs or employee assistance schemes but we try and well we do we offer a organizational bonus now organizational bonus happens annually and it's um based on performance times by how much the company makes in that year so what we tend to see and what we've noticed is that especially large organizations they're making huge profits um and these profits are going to shareholders or whoever's responsible for the organization um or that there's large amounts of money in the bank accounts at the end of every year and we wanted that not to be the case so what we've tried to do is create a um a matrix if you like where x amount of company profits of the, of the year and this is dependent on how much the company earns of course but x amount of that company profits gets shared down between every employee in their role and that is a coefficient of what their salary might be now i'm i couldn't tell you the figures for that because i'm not the maths man <laughs> that's reese's job um but for example we put in an, an annual bonus which i've never known in care um, we put a, every employee on a employee cash plan so they claim for doctors dentists opticians massages um health programs podiatry you name it back issues mris x-rays um so our employees can claim those costs back if they have to pay them these little things that we we add on to a salary might seem very minuscule for an organization that like, oh why would they want that well actually i remember being on in those shoes especially when i was at uni and i remember not going to the dentist for example we did go to the dentist for three years why because i couldn't afford to now if we can be that little change to somebody where they can continue to look after themselves in that adult life in a in a in a society at this point where it's really struggling then that's worth way much more than an extra 10 10 pence pay rise for example um so then we have our support workers um now we have a brand abandoned bracket support workers this i have different pay scales by the way for both companies as well so we, we look at we support um support workers are paid in uh, like pay brackets because we have uh we put all our employees on an apprenticeship which is the children and young people's practitioners award which is a level four um now we have a qualified rate and an unqualified rate uh i think the qualified rate I'm just trying to think the qualified rate and the unqualified rate they're around two to three hundred pound a month's difference I can tell you they people come out with around one seven one depending on how their ships fall it's in between one thousand seven hundred and one thousand eight hundred pounds a month uh i don't know the hourly rate for that but that's also tied in with sleep so people are expected to do 40 hours a week plus two sleeps and when you say sleeps it means and a yes but um yeah so a sleeping shift for us is you've got two different elements to a sleep so the local authority would deem a sleeping shift or a waking night. 
Now, a waking night would mean that you would work from probably 10, 9, 10 p.m. And you would go home at 7, 7 a.m. But you would be awake for that period. And that would be to safeguard anybody on the home. There might be a risk uh, during the night. Um, so you would put that in place at that point. We operate a sleeping shift rotor, which means from the hours of 11 o'clock, you would go to sleep and you would wake up at seven and go to home and then go home. So you wouldn't be awake, you'd be asleep. So our staff members start at 10 a.m. and they would work until 11 and then they would go to sleep at 11 and sleep on site. So they could, they get paid a sleeping bonus and uh, that would be 40 hours a week plus your sleeping bonus, uh, your sleeping shifts and you would come out and staff get paid around 1,007, 1,800 pounds. Then you have your senior children and young people's practitioners and they, they clear around 2,000. Their role is different to the support workers because they are day-to-day -day responsible for the home. So they're generally the people that will help be helping completing care plans, risk assessments, etc. They They do 30 hours on the home. Then they have 10 hours of work, which is office-based. So they might come spend some time with me or the manager, Debs, or our quality manager, Gabrielle, and they would look at driving change in the home. Then we have our quality manager and registered manager. Their pay scale is currently changing and it's changing because Ofsted are now coming in. So we're undecided on where that will go to, but they're paid, uh, they're on at the minute 31,000 plus the annual bonus schemes, etc. And then you have myself, um, over directors. Now I want to be very clear on this, that we are, I'm, well, we support as a smaller organization isn't paid currently the same as what you would expect in a children's residential home. Reason being, this is a very precious company. We want to look after it. So the, the, the money that we have stays in the company. So my current wage is uh, 30,000 and a salary. However, that is not reflective of my job role. So if I was a operations manager, director, or responsible individual in another company, I would probably expect to be paid in between 60 to 80,000 ish. Um, now, if you was to take my residential children's homes company, the pay is significantly different. And this is because it's been Ofsted regulated for many a year. So there is a defined, defined pay structure. So a registered manager, similar to a registered manager that we have in the other company, they have a little bit more responsibility currently. At this current market, you could expect somewhere in between forty to 60,000. I've seen some people paying people 70,000, 80,000. Um, it also depends on, like you said earlier, the region, but also the responsibility involved in the role. So you may have dual registration homes. So a manager might be in charge of two homes. You may have a home that has six children in it. You may have a home that has two children in it. Thus, the responsibility and demand in that period will dictate where the salary sits in certain organizations. I hope that helps. Yeah. It's obviously a very complicated picture, isn't it? But it is. It, it's useful to see like the progression that someone might might go through from, you know, if they really enjoy working in that sector. Um, and as you said, with your caveat, is that you take 30,000 out of the business but that's because you want to keep your business kind of cash rich, if that makes sense, and having that money to invest back into the organisation. But you you should or maybe could take closer to 80 
which would be more reflective of your kind of roles and responsibilities, but you just choose not to. I think in, in we support the support accommodation company that we have, it's still very much in its infancy and it's in its infancy, it's been open for now what four years. The achievements that we have are not reflective of where the company is in terms of its security, its stability, the income that it makes. And that's because this is still a very new sector. So the support accommodation sector, like I say, is only just being regulated by Ofsted this October for the first ever time. It's an un, it's like an unknown sector at the minute, which everybody's trying to get their heads around. We've done very well to come in and drive this forward and support our organizations to up their quality. But our quality is sometimes a uh, negative for us or it plays negatively for us because because of our quality, it costs us money. It costs us money to put in that quality and that money isn't in this sector yet, which we would hope it does grow because our children and young people need it. Just because children turn 16 does not mean that they don't need the added support that we are going to provide. So it, we're desperate for that to change. In terms of the the children's residential home, that's a lot more easier to define and you will see it very clearly online how much jobs are. You will see very clearly what jobs are defined as and what your roles and responsibilities are. People understand children's homes. They've been around for a long time. Our homes, there's still a lot of unknown entities for some people, um, including Ofsted, including Ofsted. They, they're, it's very much unknown for them too. So to kind of bring it together then, I think you've offered lots of really great insights and pieces of advice if people were interested in a role like this. Maybe as a slight kind of change of my usual question is I normally ask what three pieces of advice would you give to someone interested in a role like this? But given that the fact that you're a recruiter, what would you say your kind of three pieces of advice might be if someone was applying for a job like this, if they were maybe kind of um, putting together their application or if they were going to an interview, what would you say kind of like three key things that you look out for for someone that you think would make an excellent worker? I love that question. Right. Um, I can give you some very clear key things. If, if, if I was looking to employ somebody, I would be looking from the eyes of our children. So are you relatable? Do you understand? Can you show that you understand what it is to be a child in this current society? Um, and that is number one, what I'm looking for when we're, we're, we're recruiting. Not just myself. I know that my... Um, colleagues feel the same in that way can you be relatable can you understand what it's like for that child the second thing is are you going to be a safe person and can you show you're a safe person for these children these children don't need us to be their friends and I think there's a you have to be very clear on that this idea of being relatable and understanding our children and not being their friend but be able to make defined decisions and also can you show that you care and you're willing to go not so much the extra mile but willing to put the effort in to make a difference. A lot of people may, a, a lot of issues that we have with employees is when they feel like the young people are, are, are at fault. Does that make sense? Um, and it's not about what, what we struggle or what we want people to understand is children and young people are not at fault. It's our job to support them. So if a, if a behavior is being presented, can you understand the behavior for what it is? and where it comes from as opposed to that's a bad action um so when we're when i'm interviewing and we're asking questions or 
where we get into discussions on things, what I'm looking at is if I can assess that person's ability to understand those things. So can I, can I assess to make, can I make sure that you're going to be a safe person? Can I make sure that you're going to understand these children? And can I make sure that when things go wrong, you're going to be resilient enough to understand that a behavior that a child has just presented to you isn't a reflection of them, but a reflection of the experiences. And this is how they're showing you, which sounds very detailed or like clinically, but essentially it's, it, it, it's what is going to make you very good at your job. I'll be really honest. You, it's really tough when it's an us and them culture. That's not, that's never going to work. Um, it should be a, we're together and we're going to help you to get there. Experience isn't always one thing I would say experience isn't always the, um, number one thing we'd be looking for either. I know from myself, I would rather, um, train a closed book, uh, an open book, someone that hasn't already been molded to where somebody else wants to be university students, especially are perfect because they have a lot of knowledge base. They might not be, they might not have developed the resilient skills or the experience at that point, but you can always give them them. And a tip for university students that are looking for employment, look for an employer that is willing to give you opportunities. Not necessarily the one that's going to pay you the best. Not necessarily the one that has the best working rotor and, pat and pattern. It should look for, can I see an opportunity here? Can I be developed? Can I be trained? And something you should be demanding of your employer is that exactly. Something for us that's really important is doing that. And I think everybody should have that as opposed to just some of us. I was very, like I said, I was very fortunate to go to a manager who really pushed me and developed me and gave me those opportunities. And if you don't have them, then when you feel like you're ready for your next step, look for that in your next role, 100%. Does that help? Yeah, really Thanks so much, Nathan. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we finish? No, I hope that you found it insightful. And if you have any questions, feel free to get me back on again. I'll be more than happy to answer them. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast, Working with Children and Young People. It's hosted by me, Dr. Kay Calver. In each episode, I will be joined by a special guest, to explore different career options relating to working with children and young people. We will also explore current issues facing the sector and offer top tips for achieving your desired career.